We are live. Welcome everyone to Connected Learning TV. This is the first webinar of our May 2015 series titled Equity by Design, a DML 2015 showcase. If you're watching this, please take a moment to share it with your networks. I'm Katie Davis. I'm an assistant professor at the Information School at the University of Washington in Seattle, where I study the role of network technologies in, today, in teens' lives. And I will be your host today. Throughout this series on Connected Learning TV, we will be shining the spotlight on topics and speakers from the 2015 Digital Media and Learning Conference. The conference theme is Equity by Design and will be held June 11th through 13th in Los Angeles. You can find the full schedule of events at dml2015.dmlhub.net. Today I'm talking with some of my colleagues here at the University of Washington about our ethnographic work on fan fiction communities. Specifically, we'll be discussing what distributed mentoring looks like in these communities and what it can tell us about open learning. Before we dive into our chat, let's go over a couple of quick details. So to those watching live right now, we welcome your comments and questions either via tw um, our Twitter hashtags so one of them is hashtag DML2015, the other one is Connected Learning, or we've got the Q&A feature that you should see within the video player. And we'll do our best to address your questions here directly in the Google Hangout. Before we begin, I'd like to give our guests and my wonderful colleagues a chance to introduce themselves. So maybe Cecilia, um, do you want to start us off? So hello everyone. I'm I'm Cecilia Aragon, an associate professor in the Department of Human-Centered Design and Engineering at the University of Washington and the director of the Human-Centered Data Science Lab. Great. Um, let's, let's, how about Abby? Well, I see you on my farthest left, so do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Abby Evans. I'm a PhD student at the Information School at the University of Washington. Sarah? Great. Uh, my name is Sarah Evans, and I'm a PhD candidate at uh, the University of Washington in the College of Education. Great. And we are also hopefully going to be joined um, by our other colleague, Dave Randall, but he was having a, a bit of uh, some te technical difficulty right beforehand. So hopefully he'll be able to join us soon. Um, so let's begin by explaining our research on fan fiction communities. And maybe, um, Cecilia, could you talk first about how this project started? Um, as I remember, it started basically with a conversation between the two of us over lunch. And what, um, what were we interested in exploring and learning about online fan fiction communities? You know, what were our guiding research questions? So thanks, Katie. So as Katie said, um, I met her at a, a very interesting lunch at the University of Washington and we started discussing our research interests. And uh, as it, we also, as it turned out, started discussing our families. And I have, um, I have two teenage kids and Katie has a teenage sister. And we started talking about what our, our teenage family members had to teach us. Um, that related to our research. So I study social media and how people collaborate online. And Katie, of course, um, does really interesting work on digital youth. And um, 
one of the things that we that that we noted is that I had been my kids had been very they're very connected they're very connected online and I find myself constantly surprised by what they have learned from their interactions. So for example, when my son was very young, he didn't read books and I was a little disappointed and I thought, oh, that's not going to be good for him. But then he started writing and I discovered that his writing was very eloquent and he had a terrific vocabulary and a great command of the language. I said, well, how did you get this if you don't read books? And he said, oh, I, re I play games and there's a lot of reading there and I learned from that and I also learned from my friends online. And then my, my daughter introduced me to fan fiction and I had a very negative view of fan fiction, I have to admit, before we started this project. I thought it was all bad, all pornographic, you know, all the things that you hear. And I was really surprised to see what how people how these young people were learning and writing online. They were writing thousand word novels in response to fan fiction, in response to the, these, these works online, and they were, they were, they were um, talking to each other and communicating with each other and developing highly highly skilled and, and nuanced viewpoints of the world around them. And it was very impressive. And so Katie and I shared these astonishing things that we had been dis discovered. And we said, you know, we should really make a, a, a detailed study of this. We said, let's come up with a couple of research questions. Is it possible that young people are learning through their involvement in these fan fiction communities? And how and what are they learning? And, and secondly, is, does mentoring play a role in participants' learning? And if so, what does this mentoring look like? So I think that's about it. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And I'll just add that as, I think I remember it was when we were starting these conversations, I think it was the spring of 2013, and I think that's right around when the Connected Learning Report was published. And, and so that was always in our the back of our mind, and you know, mentoring plays such a big role in the connected learning framework. Um, and then we really kicked off the research in the fall of 2013 and did it for an entire uh, year. So it was really in depth. Um, and so we, after we spoke, we um, decided to form a research group and. We had a lot of interest. There were a lot of students who applied to be in this research group, um, and we had this. We settled on a, a fantastic group, three of whom are with us today. And I'm just going to invite each of them to describe um, a little bit about uh, what we did, actually what our methods were, because we had a lot of different methods that we used to ask and explore this question of uh, what are kids learning and um, what role does mentorship play in these fan fiction communities? So maybe, Sarah, you could start first. Um, first by telling everyone um, which fandoms we selected. Uh, and maybe before, just as you started off, why were you attracted to this uh, research group in the first place? Because um, I know you also are a fan. Um, and so yeah, maybe I am. You can tell us about the interviews that we conducted in the beginning. 
Okay. Um, well, I was attracted to this project uh, because I'm a researcher in adolescent literacy. Um, at, professionally, I was a librarian for 10 years, and I uh, was really involved with my teen patrons and wanted to understand better the stories that really gripped them and also how they participate, um, how their literacy is interactive. And I had a lot of um, teen patrons I worked with who were readers and writers of fan fiction. And I also, um, like Cecilia and Katie, I have uh, two teenage sons at home as well. And <laughs> so um, their participation in these worlds um, influences me as well. So when we looked for fandoms, we wanted to, we had some things we wanted to achieve with them. We wanted to make sure that we weren't just focusing on one group because, um, you know, maybe maybe what we would find would just be that one particular group was very loyal, but what about other kinds of fandoms? So we looked for um, fandoms where people were very active. Um, and we so we chose Harry Potter, and we chose um, Doctor Who, and we chose My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. And these were diverse in the sense that we had different genres. So we have fantasy and science fiction. Um, we had different forms for television shows um, and then books and movies. Um, and then also um, some diverse participants. Many of the writers of the Harry Potter fan fiction tend to be female. And the writers for the My Little Pony Friendship is Magic tend to be male. Um, we also had um, some diversity <clears throat> in terms of longevity of the fandom. Doctor Who is a 50-year fandom um, that has been, this TV show has been going along uh, for a long time, but has a, a very recent sort of upsurge in their fandom. Um, and then we have the newest fandom, My Little Pony, has just been a relaunch of animation since 2010. Um, so we had a nice diversity in our group. And then also, did you want me to, was um, I or Abby talking about our interviews, I guess? Because yeah, that's sort of how we started by reaching out and talking to fan fiction authors. Right. Talk to us a little bit about that. Right. Um, so the other key I should mention, of course, is that we did pick fandoms that we as researchers had some experience with. Um, so everybody on the team had read or watched um, the, what's called the canon, the original works. Um, of the fandom, at least one of the fandoms. I think I may have been the only one that actually has um, done the canon for all three fandoms. Well, Dave, um, Dave and Abby were adamantly non-My Little Pony. Yes, we had some some division. They did not want to experience My Little Pony. Um, some some people hadn't read Harry Potter and weren't interested in particularly being part of that. But everybody was participating in at least one of them. And that actually had some advantages because um, uh, you know, we could look as an outsider to the fandom, but we also had people who are on the inside, so you could see both points of view. Um, but it gives you an advantage, so when you're talking to um, people who are writing the fan fiction and involved in the fandom, um, you understand the, some of the shorthand for different tropes they're talking about, or um, different characters and particular plot pieces that are maybe contentious in the world of fandom and that are explored a lot within the fan fiction. So we started by each of us as researchers um, contacted fan fiction writers online through um, particular websites, uh, fanfiction.net, which is a very large and popular and ongoing um, website, which ha hosts many different fandoms. Uh, and then also we looked at fimfiction.net, which focuses solely on the My Little Pony fandom. We also looked at a, a Doctor Who 
um, fan fiction website as well. And we uh, contacted them and through private messages on these websites, we interviewed them to get some initial ideas about um, their participation, how long they've been in the fandom generally or fans of it generally, and then also how they started writing, what other fandoms they participated in, and what effect um, the participation has had on their lives. Great, that's fantastic. And I'll just add that we, in total, we interviewed 28 fan fiction authors, and um, we, we got a lot of really good data from that. Um, so maybe, Dave, hopefully your microphone is working. Um, you can tell us a little bit about the participant observations that we started at the same time as interviews, but then we extended them, and, and they kind of helped us focus our all right, I've tried my microphone. Is this working now? Yes. That's fantastic. Um, I just need to repeat what you said for a second because it cut out as I was switching between the two. I realized my microphone absolutely wasn't working. Okay, so... Um, so you, my participant observations, is that what we were talking about? Yes, and also yes. Um, writing your own fanfic. I did participant observations mainly in Reddit. Um, I looked over the other websites we talked about as well, but... Um, I liked Reddit because of the way it, it was set out on the forum stuff. And that was really interesting, just looking at what people were um, trying to get out of it. People were looking at getting their stories. A lot of people were looking at getting their stories read because it's very difficult for people who are just starting out to get people to like uh, read their stories and critique their stories. And so there was a lot of that going on. There was a lot of um, people looking for stories, which is really interesting. Like, I want this very specific thing. So they would go to Reddit and they would put a post saying like, "Where's this?" And then, within a few hours, somebody would like somebody knew a story in the community. So that was really interesting. Um, but I think probably the the most interesting part of all of what we did, other than some of the interview stuff I did, was me writing. Um, so I, it started off by me doing um, NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. I started write, doing some writing for that. Um, that quickly became apparent it was going to take a lot of time. So I took what I had started for that and then kind of turned it into the first chapter of a story and submitted it to, it was a Doctor Who story, um, and I submitted it to the Doctor Who specific fanfiction site that we looked at. Um, and it got rejected almost straight away um, because of some spelling and grammar errors here and there. So um, I spent a couple of days ref uh, like doing other stuff and I went back to it did some changes, uh, resubmitted it, it got rejected again, um, because it, it got rejected because there was a comma spliced in the summary, and I was looking over my field notes last night, and I was mad. I was really not happy about this. <laughs> and if I was, like, a, a genuine person who was writing something, I would have been really, like, put off by this, but because we were doing it, you know, for science, I carried on, and uh, I did it again. Uh, and I changed one word in the summary and resubmitted it, and it got accepted. Um, which really kind of, uh, there are, in these websites, there tends to be more than one, one moderator, especially the larger ones. There are many moderators. So to the other moderator, it was fine. So it got accepted. And then um, I, I never actually added to the story in the end. I put it up in a few other places uh, at different times of the day to try and see I could get as many views as possible. Um, and then I the comments and stuff, and I um, used this as kind of a way to talk to some people about uh, beta writing, which is where you get somebody else to read over your story, you exchange stories, and you get critique. Um, and I got somebody to beta my story, but interestingly enough, I've never read it. I never, I never kind of 
felt the, the I didn't really want to read it. I didn't really want to read what they want to say. Like, I got them to do the thing, and I and the, went through the whole process of it with them, but I just never opened that email. And I don't know if, I, if I'm if i going to, because, I don't know. It was just very interesting, and I think that's a very interesting thing. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, so everyone uh, wrote their own fan fiction. Um, and, and I'll just add that... Um, because obviously you're not going to tell us about My Little Pony. Um, Julie, who Julie Campbell, who is a co-author on our paper and presentation at DML, um, she did a lot of the participant observation in um, on thinfiction.net, which is focused on My Little Pony: Friendship is Magic, and she found um, that there were these groups on thinfiction.net where um, they would really be. Uh, there to provide targeted feedback for people. So there was one um, where there was a, a group where um, the teacher was, uh, who's a fan fiction writer themselves, was focusing on how to develop a really good antagonist for your story. Um, and so there was, it was really interesting for us to do this research kind of in a transmedia kind of way to see what the mentoring looks like on Reddit versus fanfiction.net versus um, fanfiction.net versus how you know direct to you after your um, after your writing your uh, fanfiction. Um, so so the so so we've covered the interviews we did, the participant observations, which we did for at least six months. So it was a really in depth um, endeavor, and we drew a lot in that. Uh, I'll just mention we drew a lot on. Um, Let's see, this, uh, right, Tom Belstorff, I may be pronouncing his name wrong, Tom Belstorff and Bonnie Nardi, um, Celia Pierce and Teal Taylor. Their ethnography in virtual wor worlds was, we all read that and really used that text to help guide our participant observations. Um, so then, you know, we were, you know, this is you now six months, seven months into this research, we had a good sense of the unique qualities of mentoring that we were finding in these online fan fiction communities. And, and this is where we were starting to come up with this idea of distributed mentoring. Uh, Cecilia has done a lot of work um, around the idea of distributed cognition. Um, and so we, were, we had this front and center in our mind because it seems like the mentoring wasn't happening primarily on a one-to-one -one basis which is what you kind of think of traditional mentoring. It was kind of distributed across um, particular communities and actually different communities as well. Um, and so we wanted to look a little bit more systematically to see if we could find uh, more quantitative evidence for this, um, I, this, what, this concept of distributed mentoring, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. But maybe, Abby, you could just describe a little bit what we did in the more formal coding of the fan fiction reviews. Okay. Um, yeah, I think from the interviews that we did and the participant observation, it became really clear that the interviews were a really huge part. Um, the, the reviews, even, um, were a very important part for a lot of people, um, not just in terms of receiving them, but also leaving reviews for other people and, and giving back. Um, so we ended up coding... Um, 4,500 reviews on fanfiction.net, but before we even got to that point, we had a long process of um, coming up with a coding scheme um, so we could code for the content and themes that were in the reviews. Um, and I think we ended up with 13 codes um, 
I think, is that right? Yeah. Um, but they they covered a lot of different details and nuances of all the uh, reviews, but briefly the the main themes were sort of the short, shallow, positive reviews, um, and then more constructive criticism, both positive and, and negative. Um, I think those were the main sort of themes there. But um, yeah, we went through several rounds of coding of a lot of reviews. I think it was nearly a thousand just in the early stage um, to refine those codes and make sure we're all on the same page and applying them consistently. And that, that I can't remember exactly how long that was, but that was quite a long process itself. Yeah, it takes long enough to get intercoder agreement between two people, but between five people right. or something, <laughs> it took a long time. But we did it. So yeah, that was great. Um, so great. So that hopefully now that gives um, folks who are listening, watching, a sense of um, our motivation for this research and what we actually did. Um, and so maybe we can go into a little bit more about. Um, maybe I'll pass this to Cecilia. Um, why? And and you may actually have answered a little bit of this already. But why fan fiction in particular? Um, why is that an interesting place to look for questions on participa participatory forms of learning, um, and why is fan fiction something that we should take seriously? So, fanfiction.net, the the website that is the largest fan fiction site in the world, has over six million registered users and over five million stories. Uh, some anything that that reaches that many people is worthy of attention. There are there are dozens of languages. People are participating in fanfiction.net from all over the world, um, and unlike the uh, the site that that Dave mentioned, there's no bar for participation. You anybody can post a story on fanfiction.net, and so you have very young people doing it. And just joining in in the conversation right away without fear of doing things wrong or making grammatical errors, and the the sheer abundance of this literary production it's it's really in sharp contrast to the popular wisdom that today's young people aren't interested in or even capable of writing, and that they only use technology for one hundred and forty character tweets on social media so um we felt that given this incredible incredible quantity of, of, of text and information, it, it was worthy of future it was worthy of study and worthy of taking seriously. And um, what in this process we discovered evidence of this type of community-based learning and mentoring that's really uniquely facilitated by the technological affordances of the internet. And um, the, the adolescents and young people are developing these writing and other skills in these online fan fiction communities in truly unexpected ways and at un unprecedented scope. And what we saw was that these young people had developed a network-enabled form of giving and receiving feedback. They're actively correlating knowledge gleaned in very small pieces from a large community, and they're using them to enhance their skills. Awesome. Yeah. And I think also, you know, just listening to you talk and then thinking back to what you said about your son, I mean, one reason we should take this seriously is because if, you're, if your son seemed to not be reading and writing in school, um, you know, he, he's maybe not as engaged or wasn't as engaged as some kids 
Um, but clearly, in these online spaces, he's super engaged. And that's kind of what teachers are always looking for, is how do we engage the students who are not so engaged in the traditional um, daily school experience? Yes, I think this is what's so exciting, is that young people are, are going out and teaching themselves how to, how to create narrative, how to write grammatically correct sentences, how to create stories, and they're writing essays on each other's stories as well. They're doing literary analyses on the canon as well as on other fan fiction stories. And this is something, if we think about it, this is a skill that is, however this, the students are learning it, it's worth paying attention to how this is happening. And, and we feel that part of it is because of the interest in the fan community, but another part has to do with the, the mentoring and the positive feedback they get from their peers. And this is something that's really critically important, and we feel that it, it can perhaps be translated even into, into the, classroom, the classroom setting, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I know. It was amazing in the interviews how um, the, our interview participants, it was so clear that you know writing was clearly very important to them, the fandom was important, but the community was so important, and just the relationships that they had developed really sustained them for years in these communities. Um, it was really great. Um, so maybe, Sarah, could you talk a little bit about what do you think fan fiction communities can tell us about how you are engaging in informal learning? Um, sure, absolutely. I think it's a really exciting, I mean, like Cecilia's emphasized, it's an exciting place to be. Um, and fan fiction itself is, an, is a terrific scaffold for learning to write. Um, and often in American society, when it comes to something like writing and other things that we consider are um, an art, um, we maybe get hung up in the create something new that no one's ever seen before. Um, but if you look at old examples, such as um, a colleague reminded me of um, the old masters, um, often would start, when they started learning to paint, they started by copying previous masters and learning the techniques before they went on to create their own pieces. And that's something that we see in this informal learning environment. I think another really interesting and important part of this is that um, the kind of mentoring that Cecilia can talk a little bit more about, um, to me, I think it it um, it mirrors a lot about how we learn today. We get so much um, information um, in our world today, and there's so much knowledge that you can um, receive, um, and you have to learn to sort and sift that bits of information to make a meaningful experience and learn. And in in these scenarios, they have so much input and so many different kinds of input that they can get into their writing um, that it's a unique learning opportunity, really sort of a, a rich laboratory um, that has been created that you can't really replicate in a lot of different ways, but it's sitting out there and then so easily for people um, to jump in and experience. Um, and the other thing is to think, too, that they're learning things beyond the writing. We found um, that these writers talked about just getting confidence in themselves generally. Um, some of them talked about, um, because this is an international phenomenon on these sites, um, just getting language skills, like becoming um, more fluent in English uh, for people who are non-native English speakers. Um, people talked about being able to think creatively and critically because of their experiences, being able to 
think outside the box because they've had this experience in fan fiction writing. Um, and even um, some people talked about learning to participate in a community or doing service um, because they, once they became strong as a writer, they had that urge to turn around and help other writers become stronger. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so Cecilia, maybe you um, can start us off by, so we, we've been kind of dancing around the topic of mentoring and, and the particular form of mentoring that we um, identified. So maybe you can say a little bit about what role mentoring played in the fan fiction communities that we observe, and then what exactly distributed mentoring is all about. So initially when we started the research, we knew that mentoring was going to be important. We were thinking about the con connected learning research. And um, we wanted to find out exactly what are young people learning from their participation in these online fan fiction communities. And we in initially anticipated that we would uncover very traditional mentoring relationships where less experienced writers learn from more experienced writers. But what we found was that this rich and interwoven tapestry of interactive and cumulatively sophisticated advice and informal instruction that really added up to a network experience that we have termed distributed mentoring. And um, to, to uh, give you some, some of the backstory as to how we came up with this term, um, we started from Hutchins' theory of distributed cognition, the idea that, that um, cognitive effort exists outside the individual mind and it's embodied in artifacts that can be shared by a group. And um, my, my colleague Allison Williams and I had developed a previous theory based on Hutchins' um, idea of distributed, distributed cognition that we called distributed affect, where we showed that emotional experiences could also be embodied outside a group and, and, and led to significant increases in collaborative creativity. Um, so now as we, as we started observing how mentoring um, came up in, in, in fan fiction communities, we realized that it was, it, the, the network publics really had afforded some very unique types of mentoring that, that was very similar to what we had discovered in, what we had seen from distributed cognition and distributed affect. Um, so we also drew on Dawson's mentoring framework where he, he gives about 16 different dimensions where you can look at how is, you know, what is mentoring, right? Because mentoring is obviously a very complex and, and nuanced um, uh, experience in, in people's uh, world today. And um, so we found that the type of mentoring that we saw on, in fan fiction communities was informal, peer-based, it's many to one or many to many, and it's um, it's online only, um, and it's it's it. We were seeing it specifically improve writing skills. So we found, for example, that engagement between authors could be spontaneous and limited to one single incident, or it could build into a longer relationship if authors were interested. And um, the community participants in in this in this space are really all peers. There's no prescribed formal hierarchy on fanfiction.net. There are no you know, senior, senior authors and junior authors. Everybody is kind of equal. They all have a single profile page and anybody can post. Um, 
And additionally, when you post a story, potentially thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people may read it and may post responses, which are known as reviews. Um, and uh, and these re reviews tend to be rather short, but if you have a thousand reviews on your story, obviously these small pieces of mentoring can add up to something much larger. Um, did you want me to go into the, the, the attributes of distributed mentoring or, or? Maybe just briefly, because I think that you know we, we have these, what, seven attributes? Um, that, and so maybe if you could just talk about that, because I think they very clearly show um, just how central networked um, publics are to this theory of distributed mentoring. So we came up with uh, seven key attributes of dis distributed mentoring that distinguish it from other forms of mentoring, as well as from, um, as well as from, um, well, from uh, traditional offline forms of of mentoring, and also that distinguish it specifically from distributed cognition. And um, so these attributes, we we gave them seven alliterative names. Aggregation, accretion, acceleration, abundance, availability, asynchronicity, and affect. And I'll explain each of them very briefly and talk about how they relate specifically to network publics. So, Excellent. aggregation, first of all. Um, so, we found that authors experienced mentoring from a number of different sources. In, in the offline world, people talk a lot about, oh, I need to find a mentor. So they need to find one person who's usually higher up in the hierarchy, who's more experienced. And it can be difficult. But on fanfiction.net, you receive mentoring from, from your peers. And even though each, you know, you may get one particular uh, review that says, oh, your grammar is not very good here. You need to fix your comma splices. Here is how you do it. And, you, and then somebody else may say, your characterization needs work. I think that you were you know that your your character sounded kind didn't sound like they were speaking in a natural voice and so although it may be difficult to find you know one person who's these you know wonderful mentor who can tell you everything that's wrong with your story and how to improve it many people online in the aggregate actually give you little bits of information all those added up together are a tremendous mentoring experience um, Okay, and then accretion was the next one. What we found was that not only did you just was there this aggregation of many numbers of mentors, it, um, but also the reviewers interacted with each other, and so and this happened over time. So it was a cumulative um, nature. The nature of network publics is that these reviews are are persistent; they're permanent. They last for you know for a long time, and so. People build on the previous um, mentoring that occurred, and this really facilitates the author's learning process. So, as um, so as Katie mentioned, this one experience we saw with the, with how to create an antagonist. Um, so, one person gave a rubric for how to create an antagonist, and then other people started adding on things that that person had missed, and then. Other people kept saying, "Oh, and and now and this is my response to that." And so altogether you find that there's this very rich experience, learning experience about creating an antagonist that's probably far better than what any one person, even a very experienced writer, could have presented. Um, so all this information accreted over time. 
And um, so this ended up being very targeted and cumulatively sophisticated and detailed feedback. The third characteristic is acceleration. And we found that these discussions and conflicts between reviewers really tended to yield a more complex and nuanced body of feedback because the reviewers would point out holes in each other's arguments and, and they would cite deep fandom knowledge and they and generally they accelerated the process of learning through this very active discussion. Um, abundance is the fourth category and this was the sheer volume of review responses contributes to the nature of distributed mentoring. So for example, um, many of the reviews were very short and shallow. For example, someone might just say, I loved it. And you know, you might say, well, how can that be mentoring if somebody just says, I loved your story? Well, if you get if you post a story and then you suddenly get hundreds of people saying, I loved it, that abundance of love means a lot, especially to a young person who's developing their identity, who's just learning how to write, who's, you know, really trying to gain confidence in in, in developing their learning. Um, so there were also multiple. Can I add just into that because yes. I can just imagine some people saying, "Well, what if it's an abundance of hate that they're getting?" But what did we? We really didn't find that, did we? Yes. I mean, so as a matter of fact, what we found is that when it, there was, first of all, the vast majority of feedback was positive, was constructive criticism, and although there was some hate, with it flame reviews or. Uh, you know, people, people, you know, you know, being being very rude to others. What would happen is it was self-correcting because one person would post, you know, a, a flame review, and then tens of people would jump on that person and say, "Don't listen to them. You know, they're wrong. They're just, you know, I, you know." And so, I, this what this means is that people, instead of taking, you know, taking that those those negative reviews to heart. Were, were, were encouraged by you know the, the outpouring of support. As a matter of fact, often I, what I found is that when somebody received a flame review, they would get so much more support, it actually ended up being kind of a positive thing for, the, for, that, for that author. Um, so okay, so to continue on with availability, which is, which is our fifth, um, our fifth uh, um, attribute of distributed mentoring. And Part of it is that all of these interactions of these in individual participants are visible to the larger community. Um, the persistent and public nature of online text-based communication ensures that reviews are available not just immediately after a story is written, but months or years into the future. And so this really facilitates long-term exchanges, these relationships between reviewers and authors. So the authors learn from their reviewers and reviewers learn from each other years into the future. And this creates this very long-term effect of distributed mentoring. Um, the sixth attribute is asynchronicity. And again, these public and durable text interactions allow for asynchronous contributions. And so any person at any time, no matter the location, this means you can have reviewers from multiple time zones. Um, authors post a story, go to sleep, and in the morning they wake up to multiple thoughtful and lengthy critiques of their work, and they, which they and other reviewers respond to as they wake up in their own time zones. And um, this power of asynchronous communication, especially in international uh, communities operating in different time zones, um, has been noted in uh, previous work on online community. It's really 
a crucial enabling factor for distributed mentoring. And our final attribute, um, and maybe one of the more important ones, is affect or emotion. And so when we went back and interviewed these young people about their about their their um, their work, they repeatedly, I mean, I think unanimously mentioned po the positive affect, the, the the happiness they felt from the encouragement and inspiration they received from reviews and feedback. Um, as I mentioned before, the negative views were moderated by other re reviewers, creating this supportive community response. And I really want to point out the importance of emotional and supportive aspects of mentoring, especially with respect to adolescents who are forming their identities, building self-efficacy. It's really critical. I mean, I know I had a very painful, lonely adolescence, and, and I, as I read these fan fiction communities now, I keep thinking how much better my life would have been at that time if I could have reached out to other people who were maybe just as geeky as me online. Um, so this act, the act of writing, I, I would like to point out that the act of writing, even nonfiction writing, which we all have to do, you know, as we as we grow and and are adults in the world, it, it can be an emotionally charged event. Um, anybody, as I am sure all of you who are writing your dissertations know, it's it it you know otherwise very highly skilled individuals might find themselves unable to produce this critical written communication that's so crucial for success in just about every field of endeavor and so the authors in these fan fiction communities cited over and over again the emotional support they received as key to their growth as as writers and and just to summarize i really want to emphasize that all these attributes and tendencies are interwoven so each contributes and facilitates other attributes and so, you know, for example, participants have to be able to view the, the responses of others, this availability, so they can take diverse perspectives into, into consideration when they create their own responses or reviews or accretion. And then respondents directly contradict or support other respondents in, in the attribute of acceleration. So as these fan fiction stories we sampled increased in their number of reviews aggregation, we really saw an increase in the amount of discussion present in, in these reviews. So this indicates that interactions in distributed mentoring became more complex and richer with increasing numbers of participants and responses. We really think that distributed mentoring is a new way of thinking about mentoring that's enabled by these distinct affordances of networked technologies and we think it, this is a very very exciting for young people's learning in the future. Awesome. Thank you, Cecilia. Yes, it is we are very excited about this this work and this concept. And so maybe that was such a great overview and description of how we're conceiving of distributed mentoring. So maybe in the time we have left we can start to connect our our work to the themes of the DML conference that's coming up this June. Uh, maybe, Abby, you could start by um, helping us to think about how our concept of distributed mentoring connects to one of the really important concepts for the DML conference this year, which is open learning. Um, okay, I should, just to remind people what open learning is, um, it's self-directed, open-ended exploration of new ideas, construction of new connections among ideas and people, and support for curiosity and community. And I think um, distributed mentoring, as we've talked about it, it's 
it really lends itself to open learning that's in that's taking place online, um, particularly for the community aspect of it. Um, distributed mentoring to me seems like it would be a it's a positive outcome of a successful open learning community. That it's something that you would really hope to see in these communities. It also would it's kind of needed to build the communities in the first place as well. So it feeds in and comes out from those communities. Um, it fits in very well, I think, with the um, self-directed aspect and open-ended aspects as well. I think people just in taking part um, are kind of joining in with the, the distributed mentoring when they leave each other reviews or leave each other feedback that then becomes available to the rest of the community. Um, I think it it really, again, it builds that community that's there. Um, and I think a lot of the, the interviews we spoke to, actually, they talked about the responsibility they felt um, for that community. Um, some people I know that I, I spoke to, they, they would specifically look for newer writers or writers who weren't perhaps getting as much attention and target those people to lead feedback. Um, and yeah, it was this, the sense of building that community. Yeah, that's right. And we have a lot of quotes to that effect in our paper where just they really clearly feel this strong responsibility that, and they can remember so clearly when they started off and how much they appreciated getting any reviews. So they make it a point to give reviews. And so that community culture is just really interesting. And, and I think um, something, you know, where we hear a lot in the media of just very negative vitriolic online communities. And the communities that we studied were just so different from that. Um, and so I think for that reason alone, they're, they're really important to pay attention to. Um, that's great. So um, to open learning, uh, thanks, Abby, for making those connections. Um, it's, open learning is one of the key um, areas of focus for the DML conference. But of course, the overarching theme is equity by design. Um, so I wonder um, if, Sarah, maybe you could reflect a little bit, um, and Dave, if you want to chime in as well. Um, do you think participating in fan fiction communities can make learning more equitable in any way? Um, definitely. I think um, there's kind of two parts. Um, one is the, the fan fiction itself. Um, and fan fiction since the 1960s has been, um, when it originally was produced in paper zines that people could share with each other, um, has been a site for diversity and for diversifying the stories that are in the popular media. Um, along lines of gender and sexuality, um, different ethnicities, different class experiences. So if you feel, um, for example, if you like the Harry Potter um, world, but you're, you feel that um, your particular background is not represented in it, then you can write a story that creates new characters, um, that changes the setting slightly to reflect your experience. And then there's a sense of diversifying for both you as a writer and the readers who then come along and read it. And then also I think um, we've talked a lot about um, this mentorship and I think it um, allows an access to mentorship which can be really hard in the real world and especially um, if you don't have access to the kind of people who could assist you and mentor you in your writing, um, it's a big barrier. And so by having these online experiences, um, it opens up participation and access to guidance that you might not otherwise encounter. 
That's great. Thank you so much, Sarah. Those are great reflections. Um, Dave, do you have anything to add? Um, yeah, I think that uh, Cecilia mentioned earlier about people whose first language isn't English. And I think that's a really uh, powerful tool. I know that as, as a TA, I often TA people whose first language isn't English. And they have a lot of trouble getting themselves out there to the resources, even though they have the resources which are available. Some of them are shy. Some of them don't feel very you know, uh, positive about using them. And there are lots of people who are like that, not just um, people who struggle with English, but people that struggle with social interactions and things, um, where they may have access to the resources, but they don't feel confident enough to use them and the the anonymity uh, of the internet I think and the fan fiction communities really lets them you know have access to resources that even that they can use but ordinarily they wouldn't you know wouldn't use because they're shy or something so I think there's a really powerful tool there that lets people get the you know the help that they need and learn what they need to learn and build on build these skills um, in these communities uh, even though you know they have access to it ordinarily, and so it helps people that both don't have access and people that do have access for various different reasons. Um, so it's just it's just in, building on all of this and increasing uh, access, which I think is only a good thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point, and that it reminds me of um, Rebecca Black's work and, and work on fan fiction and and how young people use this um, type of activity to really help them practice English if that's not their first language. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And also I'd like to I see people self-identifying as autistic or as deaf. Mm -hmm. And they participate in the community and they, they are upfront with how they are and they and they're able to interact it in a community that they might not be able to interact with in real life. They might not have access to that. So so definitely equity is Equity by design, this is perfect for the fan fiction community. Yeah, definitely, totally. Um, so one thing that we've been thinking about, and I, you know, we, we touched on this in our paper, maybe I think that in our workshop um, at the DML conference, maybe we can engage the audience in, in puzzling through the question of how could what we're seeing in these informal spaces how, and the distributed mentoring that's taking place there, how could it translate to a formal educational setting in classrooms? Um, I started off as a fourth grade teacher, and so I'm often thinking about when I'm doing my research, what are, how can we bring this back into the classroom without just killing the interest completely for kids and, and helping them to make connections between what they're doing outside of school and inside of school, like the connected learning model. Um, you know, so maybe Cecilia, do you do you think that it's even feasible to even think about this idea of distributed mentoring in a classroom context? I absolutely think it is. I mean, so one idea that we that we brought up in our paper was the idea of creating an internet-based peer review system that joins a number of classrooms together to help facilitate distributed mentoring. Um, I don't think it would work, I mean from my experience in middle schools and high schools, having the people you interact with every day give feedback is, is, very, is very fraught, right, because of the social hierarchies. But if it's there's this geographic and emotional distance, there's people that, that, that you don't know um, day to day, and, and this could help prevent these feelings of inhibition that students might feel if asked to give and receive feedback from their classmates. And I think 
incorporating something like this, you know, it, it could also be, it could be um, moderated by teachers to make sure that there was no inappropriate um, language that crept into there. But um, I think this could, you know, the idea that you, you tell students, look, read this piece of work by another student, you don't know exactly where they are, give some small piece, you have to give one piece of useful critique on that, you know, it's not, it's not onerous, it's not a, it's not a, a big chore, and yet, the, by the nature of aggregation, every student will get lots of targeted, close feedback on their work, and this would help teachers too, right? Because they wouldn't have to, to do, you know, do a really long, you know, write a whole page of comments on every student's piece, uh, every student's work, and 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 you, the 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 feedback you get from peers is is very, it's very valuable. Um, so I think designing tools like this. It's actually very simple. We already have a lot of the mechanisms in place, so it wouldn't cost very much, and it could be very powerful in helping students um, learn and improve their writing and other skills in the classroom. Yeah, definitely, and, and it really connects very well to the idea of open learning. Connecting classrooms across geographic um, boundaries is definitely um, fits open learning really well. Um, and also, it's, I think it's, it's always more satisfying for kids, adults, when, when more than one person is reading our work, <laughs> when it has a larger audience. So that's definitely an important point as well. Um, so we're, we're sort of getting towards the end of our time. I'm going to ask Sarah a question, um, but, uh, but before I do, just to get the, everyone else um, just thinking about their final thoughts that they want to leave everyone with before we conclude. Um, but Sarah, I want to ask you, um, do you think there are any other online communities that are like online fanfiction communities? Um, is there any place out there already that where we might see distributed mentoring? Um, I think there's um, I think there's a lot of places anywhere where you have um, affinity groups that are passionate around um, particular topics. Um, I think you're going to see this online. Um, I think of some websites that are dedicated to things like knitting um, or um, or cooking or other things. And I think what we see is that there's a lot of skills out there that people are interested in learning, um, but they may not have access to people right in their area. And when they use um, different online social sites, um, they can get these quick bits of feedback from people all over the world instead of trying to maybe find just somebody in the neighborhood who knows what's going on. And and also just, I know for myself as a researcher, I've been interested in um, the some hybrid um, kind of mentoring that happens where some of it's distributed online and some of it is in person as well. And we saw that a little bit with um, our fandoms and they talked about these Skype chats where they actually bring in video and they, and they talk in real time. Um, and I've been interested in um, some of the convention cultures. Um, for example, in Seattle we have SakuraCon every year which is a Japanese animation convention and there's a lot of relationship and mentorship that happens online around things like creating costumes um, and um, a figure collection and how to get good deals and things like that. And then they also have these experiences where they meet every year and do a lot of learning exchange. Um, and so as a researcher, I'm interested in that, that blending of worlds of online and real life. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so we have just a few more minutes left. Um, 
this was a really fun conversation. It's making me really excited for DML. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so uh, do, do, does anyone have just brief final thoughts before I wrap things up? Um, Dave or Abby, do you have any concluding thoughts from this work? Um, I think for me the the big takeaway was um, just it was a nice reminder not to be too quick to make assumptions about these communities and the, the kinds of learning that's going on. Um, I think similar to what Cecilia said before she got involved with this, um, I perhaps thought fan fiction was a little silly and they probably weren't really doing much real learning there, but um, after just being involved with the communities it became very clear that there was this very complex, very beneficial thing going on there. Um, and I think that's probably something I will take with me as I, I go and research other things in other areas. So. Awesome, thank you. Uh, what about you, Dave? Yeah, I think I, I'd follow up with that. Fun fiction gets a lot of flack. <clears throat> and um, I think it's not necessarily well-deserved. Um, it's a very powerful community. It's a very large community. I think to follow up with some of what Sarah was saying, um, I went recently to the Emerald City Comic Con. I saw a lot of um, different fan communities. They have little meetups, in-person meetups, um, and a lot of them were talking about like fan fiction and stuff. And it's really it not only is its own community, but it helps to bolster other parts of larger communities as well. So it's really a very intricate kind of large beast that um, I think really really needs looking at, really needs understanding. So this work is very valuable for that and for other areas as well. Great. And maybe Cecilia, as our co-PI, would you like to have the final word? Yeah. Um, thanks, Katie. Um, so I agree with what others have been saying. But additionally, I think you know tying this back into connected learning, um, this I think the idea of distributed mentoring and what we've seen here really opens up this, this tremendous opportunity for classrooms to change as we move into the rest of the 21st century. Um, we're really there's an older model that we've had for quite some time and, and we really shouldn't be pushing away the internet and saying these network publics are something we have to protect our kids from. We should think about how can we integrate it, how can we get the best of it um, and use that to enable students to become more engaged and more interested in learning because they clearly have this tremendous capacity to be mentored by their peers, to learn, to, to grow. And I'd like to see us taking distributed mentoring into the classroom and having it have an impact on the next generation of, of kids in the world. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, so thank you everyone for a great conversation. Um, and for those of you watching online, there will be a full video recording of this webinar of, um, available immediately on um, connectedlearning.tv uh, with other curated content on the way uh, that you can share with your network. So this wraps up the first webinar of this May 2015 series highlighting themes from the DML 2015 conference. But please feel free to keep the energy going on Twitter using the hashtags DML2015 and Connected Learning as well. Um, now, if you found this conversation helpful, please share it with your networks. And if you'd like to know more about upcoming webinars from Connected Learning TV in 2015, please visit connectedlearning.tv and sign up for the email newsletter. Uh, thanks again, everyone, and really looking forward to seeing some of you in LA this June.